0: Season, you're a piece of garbage. Okay? That's right. I'm personifying the off season. You don't do anything at all all the time. We record our podcast on Thursday. Finish up what I believe is a fantastic episode, which is upcoming. And then Christian Yelich gets traded. You know what? GFY off-season. Dumbest off season ever. That said, we've got news. Woo! Uh, I don't have Eno with me. I don't even have Justin with me. I'm putting the finishing touches on the episode that has already been recorded, and Justin has already produced. Uh, but I, I couldn't I couldn't post it without saying anything about Yelich. So Christian Yelich was dealt from the Marlins to the Brewers for Lewis Brinson, Monty Harrison, Ison Diaz, and Jordan Yamamoto. Uh, Nice haul for the Marlins, finally They finally get a nice deal there on on one of their big guys going You know, there was rumors that they were asking for Vlad Jr. and Acuna Duh, right? I mean, I'm not saying that they should have gotten I'm saying, like, if you're going to trade a guy like this An established big leaguer Ask for the top You don't come in Asking for what you would settle for You come in at the very top and then you bring it down So, I, you know, they talk with those teams The interesting part is, you know, as far as the Jays go There's not a lot to go down to where you're still getting a, a big haul Maybe a Boba Bichette-led package could have done it um, With the Braves, they could have gone a lot of different ways If they still wanted to, to deal with them But I understand they're like, you know If we're going to give you kind of our centerpiece guy now you better give us you better give us uh your centerpiece guy or, or your future centerpiece guy. So I, I get it, I get it. Oh, I get why they're asking for it. Obviously Brinson is not Acuña or Vlad Jr., but they also got probably better supplemental pieces than they would have gotten had they had they made one of those deals with the Braves or the Blue Jays. Uh Monty Harris and Eisen Diaz both former uh, you know one-time top 100 prospects, I believe. Um you know, I know Monty Harrison. I believe I believe he had like a fall off. I'm trying to think. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm trying to think here um, on on the trajectory. I know Ice and Diaz got some hype when he came over in I believe the Gene Segura deal, and then had a bad season himself this past year. But he's only 22. Um, only reached High A though, so you got to kind of move. This has to be a big season for him if he's going to advance. 21 uh, years old in High A puts him at a little bit old for level especially considering that he had a rough season with the bat um i think he's a true middle infielder he should be able to hold the position uh, without one of those two positions without a problem and we'll see what uh what what his trajectory looks like this year and again monty harrison outfielder athletic guy Uh, i'm trying to look him up i'm not overwhelmingly familiar with him outside of knowing who he is i think he's a former top rounder not not first round i think second or maybe supplemental hang on i'm pulling it up okay second rounder in 2014 um was monte harrison been kind of up and down but then had a nice season this year but again similar to diaz did so as a 21 year old at levels that you shouldn't be 21 at but i will say at least in comparison to diaz at least he had the big year uh, or the so, the the strong. I wouldn't say big. I wouldn't say big. Eight thirty two ops. Twenty one homers. Twenty one twenty seven steals. When you're twenty one at the A and high A levels, okay, uh, not bad. And I believe he was at the Arizona Fall League this year, but I don't recall seeing anything that really stood out for Monte Harrison. But but two two good guys. If one of those pops and Brinson does his thing, you, you know you're looking at a solid return. Right there, and and Jordan uh, Yamamoto. I don't know anything about him, so I will I will refer you to the pieces that will no doubt go up on the site probably this evening. Uh, Eric Long and Hagen or Kylie Daniel or both will probably have their thoughts on those guys. So definitely check that out. Obviously, let's get to talking about Yelich. That's the real move here. Yelich gets out of the uh, the the hellish black hole that is Miami and goes to Milwaukee. This is this is a benefit, obviously, just a cro- across the board you could have put him in the same exact kind of park and obviously we know Marlins Park is pitcher friendly but you could have put him in the same exact park and just moving lineups this would have been a huge move but the fact is not only are you moving to a much better lineup for Yelich but a much better park Uh, just looking at at home run park factors the Marlins for right handers has an 80 park factor and Milwaukee Miller Park has a 107 so that's going to be a nice boost there and I know that You know, Yellich's power, it's a tricky thing to me because, you know, we saw him pop 21 two years ago and then 18 this past year. And those are obviously solid and and well above what he was doing. He was a single digit guy for a couple full full seasons, six, six hundred sixty plate appearances with nine back in 2014 and then seven in five hundred twenty five plate appearances in 15. But that's because he was putting the ball on the ground 60 plus percentage of uh, percent of the time. Past two years, it's been 57 and 55 respectively, which is still pretty high to, to expect him to really beat the uh, the a mid-20 homers upside, but he brings big batting average, he does run, this team will run, you know, he was 16 for 18 on the bases last year, Yelich was, he's always been a solid base dealer. I think he's, uh, let's see, 72 for 90 in his career, so that works, and I wonder if they would let him really run wild and then maybe we could see like a 25-25 season. If you're talking 295-25-25 with, with good context numbers in terms of runs and RBIs, he got 100 runs and 81 ribbies on the Marlins team last year, which did have good players, right? So don't don't think about it the way you think about the Marlins right now. It obviously had Stanton, Marcelo Zuna, JT Realmuto, Justin Bohr for uh, parts of the season, it was D Gordon. Um, So he's going to another good lineup if he does another 180 uh, on the runs and RBIs respectively or something, you know, 90-90, however you want to break it up. If it's something around that with 25-25 and 290, that's a high end. That's super high end, of course, of course. But even if he's more of like 85-85 on the runs, RBIs, uh, 18 homers, 18 stolen bases, and and a 285 average, that's still a damn fine season, right? excuse me if you drafted early i think you got i think you got to be happy because uh, once everyone was leaving and it was looking like maybe they weren't going to trade him i think there was even a rumor at one point where they're like no we're gonna we're gonna keep him and it was like why why are you punishing christian yelich so thankfully that that deal did get done and now we've got yelich in milwaukee uh, up in the top of that lineup, it's it's going to go well. I mean, this this is really good. And the thing of it is, I wonder if it's going to overly influence his ADP. You know, I I maybe I'll maybe I'll investigate this later because now on the NFBC average draft position, uh, you can kind of do it by dates. And I wonder if we can see what it looked like at the when the drafts first started, and then if it went down kind of in November, December. Uh, in early january here and then if it would spike if it spikes back up i'll I'll, maybe i'll try to investigate that in uh in february after a few drafts get get done with yelich now on a good team because i know he was starting to fall i I passed him in a couple drafts where i was just like i don't know that i want a guy on that team right now Uh, so he's got a 70 adp right now 48 high pick 102 low pick um and if he pushes back into like the top 50 as an ADP, I don't know. I, I, I tend to be a sucker for those power, speed, average guys, those guys that do a bit of everything but don't excel at one thing. They can be undervalued at times, though, too, because they don't do that one great thing. That said, top 50 pick is not undervalued, right? That That's if he was staying at this ADP uh, or something like that. So all in all, great move for Jelic. Uh I like it by the Brewers. Apparently, they're still going for... Lorenzo Kane, which means Dom Santana might be, might be being uh, talked about in, in deals as well. So that's really interesting to me too. And in fact, I think it was Ken Rosenthal who made a point to say, this move does not take them, excuse me, does not take them out of the Lorenzo Kane potential here. So it's going to be, oh my goodness, L- that, that noise, that sound you just heard, was literally them signing Kane. Holy crap. This is insane. Okay, we're getting moves now, finally. So that means Domingo Santana has to be going because Ryan Braun is still there. And I can't imagine they're trading Braun. So the Brewers could just be making moves left and right. Maybe they're going to have a Domingo Santana deal shortly after this. That's insane. So um, now now, (laughs) I am just, wow. Wow. I can't believe that. Literally as I was saying that, that's crazy. Okay, so Kane and Milwaukee. Back to Milwaukee, by the way, for those that don't remember, you know, if you're not super familiar with with Kane's history, he came up as a as a brewer. Uh, that that's where he got started. Had a little little 43 game sample back in the day in 2010, and then was part of the Zach Greinke deal, and obviously eventually broke through with KC. So they bring him back. It's a different organiz- It's a different front office. David Stearns was not there when they dealt him. Um, so there's probably maybe. I shouldn't say probably. I really don't know. There's maybe some guys that are still around that say, you know, I, I scouted him back when he was a twenty-something. I think we should get him, et cetera, et cetera. This is really fascinating to me that they make these two moves, in the same day. I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested to see what, what's going to happen now with Domingo Santana because he had a fantastic season. I mean, he's going seventy-one ADP. Uh, Santana is right behind Yelich right now, and he, you're obviously not benching a guy like that or fourth outfieldering him. Um, and so now they're going to have Kane, Yelich, Braun, Santana. Somebody's got to go. And again, I just don't think it's going to be Braun. So that means Santana for a pitcher. Now, one of my friends, big uh, Brewers fans, getting his hopes up, thinking Santana plus for Mr. Chris Archer as a potential deal. And I, I definitely think that would be a good starting point to say, hey, Santana as a centerpiece. What do you need around him? Let's get Chris Archer here. And if they got Archer. Archer, Anderson, Davies, and then you kind of, you kind of, you kind of piece in there because you got Luis Chassin, Ivani Gardo Junior Guerra, Brandon Woodruff, and you're kind of biding your time for Jimmy Nelson, right? The idea would be Archer, Anderson, Davies, uh, Archer, Anderson, Nelson, Davies as a top four, and then you and then you work in your number five. But Nelson's not going to be back for a while, so this would be we're talking about October at this point. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. The Brewers. Even with these two moves, they they they've got a great setup, but they're obviously not guaranteed anything for October. So, uh, just like Kane, or excuse me, just like Yelich, Kane going from KC, a hitter's park, to to Milwaukee. In fact, KC is actually worse on righties; it has a seventy-four home run park factor. Um, I really like this move for them. Let me see where Kane was going. Kane was going ninety-fourth overall in ADP. That's going to go up. Uh, probably around maybe, uh, you know, 15, 20 picks. Then you get them up there around Yelich, Santana, Will Myers, Chris Davis with a K. Uh, as far as outfielders go, Andrew McCutcheon. That's interesting. I'm curious what you guys thought. Go ahead and put it in the comments if, if or, or tweet me. You take Kane or McCutcheon now, now that you know where both are going to be. Um, I think that's an interesting one. And if you have any ideas on a uh, on a Santana trade, or if you're a Brewers fan and you have any desires on the Santana trade, let, let me know. So yeah, just want to get some quick thoughts in on that. Uh, now let's get to the episode uh, as regularly scheduled. Welcome to episode 518 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, January 25th. I'm your host, Paul Sport, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, what's up?
1: Yo. I had like a two and a half hour chat today,
0: just for fun. I hope you set aside another two and a half hours to discuss all the amazing moves that have happened since we last spoke. And we're done. And we're done. Austin Jackson signed in San Francisco. Not even going to talk about it. Who the hell cares? We got Justin Mason on the ones and twos producing the show. We're going to talk some baseball, but it's actually going to be uh, Eno-focused here. We're going to talk about some of your recent work and a a handful of what we're just calling interesting pitchers for different reasons that you've got them. You looked at uh, ADP on the auction calculator versus kind of what you're looking at. Put together a list of some guys we want to talk about, so we'll get into that. But I want to start, again, like I said, with some of your recent work. And prospect lists are coming out. You know, that's at least something that we have to look forward to because nobody's signing. Uh, At least we're getting some big industry prospect lists. I believe uh, Baseball America came out with theirs. I know Keith Law did. And you highlighted somebody who had a massive drop. Uh, Mickey Moniak, former number one overall pick. We all know he had a rough season. A lot of people are down on him in the industry. And you highlighted his drop as it relates uh, in history as well. What did you find with regards to uh, Mickey Moniak of the Phillies having such a tumble in his first pro year?
1: It's not good news for him. Um, the, the 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 It's not unprecedented, of course. There have been lots of people who've fallen off the list, and actually, people who've fallen off from farther up. Many, Mickey Moniac was like 17th on the list last year, mm. and and dropped off. And there have been Uh, 15 or 14 players since 1990 that have dropped from further up the list. Number one was a guy named Roger Salkeld, who was number three on the list, uh, before he dropped off completely the next year. Um, and, and the second biggest drop off is a name that people will actually remember, which is LeVon Hernandez. Ooh, (laughs) he was dropped from eighth to a
0: hundred. And he was the But last he was person. actually number one on Eric Gregg's prospect list every time <laughs> Eric Gregg published it. By the well, way, for clarification's sake, uh, one, one second. Actually, for for yeah. clarification's sake, on Moniac, it was his first full season. I don't want anyone saying it wasn't his first season. He played in 2016. I just want All to right. clear that up. First full season. Well, and
1: I think the Levon Hernandez thing is really interesting because another guy who fell off the list completely this year was Anderson Espinosa and, um, and also Yadier Alvarez. Mm hmm. And I think I got it right. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yadier Alvarez and both of those guys. Uh, well, actually, Yadier Alvarez in particular has a very similar story to about Hernandez, where he came in uh, and then struggled with command and struggled with results in the minor leagues in his first season uh, here since Cuba. And uh, I could see him actually rebounding um, and either having like sort of either a Levan type career or maybe something like Darren Dryfort, who was the fourth biggest drop off ever, um, having a career maybe a little bit like Darren Dryfort. That that's also possible for Anderson Espinoza, where you get this hard throwing guy, has some injury or or hard luck, falls off the list, but comes back and is at least useful as a reliever. So um, what I learned from doing this was that pitchers fall off and still have a chance of being interesting.
0: Um, Which makes sense, right? Because injury, uh, a pitch development that's taking too long, you know, things like that, something as small as like moving on the rubber. I feel like they have a lot more avenues to improve if they take that first punch in the mouth in the minors, whereas hitters, I don't know if they have as many avenues to try to improve themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the guys who had the best career wars after dropping off the list more than 70 spots. Ah, uh, you've got LeVon Hernandez, Darren Dreifert, uh Antonio Osuna, uh, Jake McGee, uh, Dustin McGowan, uh, there was one hitter, Mike Montgomery, uh, Archie Bradley, James Baldwin, Wilson Alvarez. So you know those are all exactly what you said. They had some sort of hiccup in their development process, and maybe they came back as relievers instead of instead of starters, but they found a way uh, to be useful. When it comes to hitters, you've got nobody
0: One. other than Eric Hosmer, really. Uh, Eric Cosmer. how fitting, bringing it back to the uh, to, to the yeah. free agent market there. He's the only guy in your list um, that had, so ba- based on that, you made a list of guys that had, like you said, 70-plus prospect spot differences. He had a 77-spot uh, drop. Only hitter of the six players to have a uh, five-plus war. Uh, in Absolutely. the majors yeah. after having drop.
1: only one to have like basically one uh war because you know, Among I could yes. Yeah, I could have dropped that number for for hitters. Uh pitchers, there were guys like Adam Lowen who, you know, had a couple years that were useful out of the pen uh before it didn't work out for good. Uh but hitters, man, they 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 really have a hard time um on this list and so Uh Eric Hosmer is still a little bit instructive I think because um you know he did have a one year blip and it had to do with his strikeout rates and his walk rates and his ground ball rates something like Mickey Moniak Mickey Moniak also looks a little bit worse uh, because the league he's in suppresses offense um the Sally is a really hard league to to hit in so he actually was pretty much close to league average in a lot of ways and um and so there's there's some there's still some opportunity there but you know if i if i expand the list to to look at guys You know, below that, there were hitters that worked out. You do find some guys. um, uh, Carlos Guillen uh, was a big dropper and was a bat and and found himself to a decent career. Oh, yeah. He Um, he had a really sharp career. Yeah. But really, I mean, like Lars, like all the hitters, Lars Anderson, like the hitters, it's a really bad sign when you drop this far. Here's Um, what I want to know.
0: So the guy on the list.
1: Josh Hamilton, I guess, sixty-eight points. That's your best. That's a, Josh Hamilton and Carlos Guillen, of the 60 players that dropped more than 68 ranks,
0: those are the best hitters. And I mean, obviously Josh Hamilton had such an interesting, you know, such a yeah. d- different path that you it's not even it's not even instructive in any way, shape, or form. My question though is who the hell ranked Gookie Dawkins twenty-one in the first place? <laughs> I feel like you really set Gookie Dawkins up there. That's more of the rankers problem than anything gookie Dawkins did. Yeah, I guess Should've Mike old still has a chance to uh, no, to guys, make good. God, that guy sucks. I fell for Mike Holt. I thought that guy was going to be a monster. Yeah, I did too. He's trash. He's going to be twenty eight. He's trash. um So yeah, it 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 doesn't look good though. I'm, I'm going to link all these pieces. We're going to talk about two other of your pieces though. Links will be there for all three if you guys haven't read them. And it was really it was really interesting to see that. And it doesn't bode well for Monet, Of course. You're just showing the history. It doesn't mean that he can't and Mm -hmm. um, and that he that he's doomed to just completely flop. He's going to be 20 years old coming into this year, too. So let's not pretend that he's completely done. Interestingly, though, last year, B.A. had him 17. MLB had him 19. Baseball Perspectives had him 56th. So maybe they were they were a little head on this. Like, hey, maybe this guy isn't And I think. I think that's also
1: going to be kind of the case in the in the reverse for Yadier Alvarez. From what I gathered, you know, they haven't come up with their top 100 list yet. Um, you know, Eric Langenhagen and and um, uh, Kylie McDaniel haven't done their list yet for for Fangraphs, But I think Yadier Alvarez is going to be on it. Um, so I don't think he'll have fallen as far. And um, I think it's also worth pointing out that Eric Hosmer had, uh, had surgery, had LASIK surgery. After that terrible year that caused him to drop off the list, and he got back on the list the next year. So, uh, as a commenter pointed out in my piece, you know, some people are almost waiting for a, a diagnosis
0: of some sort, like yeah, if there something some to come health out, health
1: issue that came out that that was yeah. that was going on.
0: That makes it seem like an obvious roadblock for Moniak, and they're like, oh, he got that fixed, or you know, yeah. whatever happened, he had some fucking bone spurs in his footy, He got that taken care of that we didn't know about, you know, something. Yeah. Because um, you know, number one overall pick flops like that out of the gate. So we'll see. Um,
1: but but, uh, but for the pitchers, like Colby Allard uh, fell down. He fell down because he's throwing like eighty-seven miles an hour now. So that's that's not good news. But a guy like Sean Newcomb falling falling on the on the on the rankings in a big way, maybe not as worrisome. I mean, if you still believe that he can figure it out, obviously he hasn't figured it all out yet. But if you still believe he can figure it out, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that he can't.
0: No, I, I agree. And yeah. I actually do like Sean Newcomb quite a bit. Uh, I think we saw some decent stuff out of him in the majors last year, but the walks definitely caught up to him, which was expected. He had a few starts out of the gate where he wasn't walking guys. Newcomb was, and then it it, it all came crashing back. Um, your your bottom line on Moniac. What, what, what do you really expect out of him going forward?
1: Uh, obscurity, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be mean. You think so?
0: Not even like a fourth outfield sort of?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you add in the fact that there wasn't uh, consensus on him
0: uh, in the first place, I think that's a bad sign. Yikes. Okay, well, Philly fans, you'll be fine, okay? you got a super deep system. Things are looking up, so you're not going to hit on all of them. Uh, Let's move over to another piece discussing a prospect. And and there was a name in the headline that, of course, is going to draw it out when you're talking about Jack Flaherty and a link to Clayton Kershaw there. It's immediately getting attention. Now, the first line says, Jack Flaherty will be better than Clayton Kershaw. I stake my life on this and my kids. My name is Eno Saris, and I agree to this message. So that was a bold statement right out of the gate of that piece. Um, do you stand by that now that you've thought about it? No, I'm kidding. Honestly. That's not what, <laughs> what it says at all. But what did you find uh, in terms of an interesting link between Jack Flaherty and Clayton Kershaw?
1: You know, I saw Flaherty's debut in San Francisco, and I saw his slider get hit. And that had me kind of off of him because his fastball was a little bit straight. I was kind of off of him the whole season after that. And it's funny how your eyes can can deceive you like that. You see something, you put a lot of weight on it, and then and then you forget to sort of check back. So when I just went recently and ran the numbers on whiff and grounder rates for sliders, I found that Clarity had one of the best whiff rates on a slider in baseball last year sure. and the best among the starters. Wow. And, you know, he also got a really good ground ball rate. So it turned out that he had, uh, in the second half last year, he had the best slider by whiff and grounder rates. So that put mm-hmm. him first, Garrett Richards, second, Clayton Kershaw, third, you got guys like Bundy, Salazar, Carrasco, Carrasco, Sessa, Robbie Ray, Blake Snell, and Corey Kluber on the list. So, you know, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a list that feels right. As uh, part of Snell's breakout was, was going to that slider. Robbie Ray has an excellent slider. Carlos Carrasco has an excellent slider. Salazar's slider might've been set up by his other pitches, but you know, it's believable to me that he has a great slider. So, uh, and then Kluber being last on the list, but in the top 10 makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, I, I just use that as an opportunity to say, Hey, Flaherty has something. He has this great slider. He threw a change up. That's really bad too often, um, and it gave up a lot of homers. I think he should just get rid of that changeup uh, and throw a curve that looks promising by by velocity and movement and spin. And if he becomes sort of a four-seam
0: slider curve guy, I think uh, he could have a lot more success next year. Jack Flaherty, St. Louis Cardinals, somebody that uh, kind of on the fringes of getting an opportunity. They've got, you know, they're piling up some names there and they've obviously been rumored in for some of these guys that are available now um, to, as a way to make an impact. And and they've been trying, you know, obviously they made the Marcelo Zuna deal um, and they've been trying to get, I think, another impact player on either side of the ball, maybe a pitcher that would push Flaherty back a little bit. But uh, I do think he'll get his opportunity and there was impressive stuff. He was a big time prospect. So we'll see where that goes with Jack Flaherty. Um, I want to talk about this last one, this last piece here. You wrote, I think it was last week, because I almost brought it up on last week's show. Uh, Man, Manny Margot. I love Manny Margot. I'm very excited. I was kind of pissed when you wrote about him because I said, don't put any, don't put any light on him. Let's keep, let's keep him under wraps. But uh, you know, you can't slide one by the, the fantasy folks anyway. The people already seeing what he did last year, and uh, you wrote about his launch angle break breakout and the stickiness of it. What would you find on Manny Margot of the San Diego Padres?
1: Well, you know, launch angle is pretty sticky. We like it because it becomes meaningful really quickly. Uh, it's more precise than ground ball fly ball rates. Um, these are all things that are true. But when you've got a big breakout, I was wondering, you know, how much of that breakout it sustains into the next year. And what I found was that more than half of uh, the breakout sticks. So basically, you know, just to illustrate what the what this what the what the sample did, they as a as a as a group they had a launch angle of seven point eight in the first half of their year. In the second half, they went to fifteen point seven. So it's you know almost Dang. Uh, doubled it. Yeah, they almost doubled it. And then in the next year, their launch angle was twelve point five. So they didn't go all the way back to their first half. They didn't re- keep all of their gains, but you wouldn't want to regress it back to their first half numbers. So. Uh, I think that means that, in a way, when you look at Margot's full season numbers, you learn a lot more than if you look at either half. And if you look at his full season numbers, he outperformed his power uh, his power expectations last year, and I think could be con- could be uh, expected to do so again next year or this season.
0: So uh, that was an interesting list that you came up with, by the way. Didi Gregorius, of course, had a really nice. Season at shortstop uh, jumped his from 12-7 to 21, really started to uh, find the air. Um, Hunter Renfro, teammate of Manny Margot, could have a big 30-plus homer season very soon. Eddie Rosario had a nice second half. The Twins team as a whole really did, and he was a big catalyst for that. And uh, even Bryce Harper was on that list, going from 11.2 to 18.0. But there was another guy who jumped out, a guy that you and I, have long uh, stayed in on. Michael Franco went from 7.4 to 15.7. You know, are we finally going to get our breakout season from Franco?
1: I mean, that's it's it's baby steps in a way. He still hits the ball a bit low. I think that D.D., uh, Hunter Renfro uh, grouping there with you with a 20-degree launch angle, that's where Yonder Alonso went. He got his up to 20 when he was going well. That's a, that's a real nice place to be as a power hitter. That's where Bryce Harper was. So that's a better place, but you know Michael Franco getting from seven point four to fifteen point seven is is a big deal, Um, and I think it's also I think that the other name on the list that sort of um, tells us a little bit about Michael Franco is Eddie Rosario. Um, Eddie Rosario is a guy who hit the ball too hard, doesn't have good plate discipline hit the ball too hard, hit the ball hard, doesn't have plate discipline and hits the ball on the ground. I think in some ways, Eddie Rosario resembles Michael Franco a lot. And we had this big breakout from last year from Eddie Rosario, where he used a better launch angle to, to hit for more power. And I think we could see the same thing for Michael Franco because both Eddie Rosario and Michael Franco, since they hit it a little bit lower are going to have good batting averages, good batting averages on the balls in play. Mm-hmm. Um, they should. And, uh, you know, so at the very least, I see a real big bounce back in batting average for Michael Franco. But, you know, 280 and 30 homers next year is not at all impossible.
0: God, that'd be so nice. Yeah, he was saddled with a 234 BABIP, and thus a 230 average Michael Franco was, despite a batted ball profile that you would think would have delivered more. So uh, Margot and Franco, two guys I'm keeping an eye on, and, and they were really highlighted in that piece. So you all should check a, that out.
1: He had a bad off season. Michael Franco did.
0: I mean, he he
1: went to the Dominican League. He got caught partying, uh, six a.m. on the day of a of a playoff game for his Dominican League, mm-hmm. and the Phillies sent him home, or the either maybe the team they, they did pulled him
0: off the team. Yeah,
1: right? yeah. Ouch. So that's not good. But in some ways, maybe it could be in a, a little bit of an awakening for him. I I talked to one uh, team official for the Phillies that was hoping that Carlos Santana might come in and offer him a little bit of veteran leadership um, and a little bit nice. of a, like, you know what? Yeah, you're a major leaguer, and you can revel in that, and you can just be excited to be a major leaguer, but you can do better, man. Like You, you can do def- be yeah. better.
0: Someone needs to like wake him up, and that could be really nice, if, especially if it's Carlos Santana, who also maybe imparts some uh, some on-field wisdom to him and maybe ups that walk rate. If you start getting, like, a eight to ten percent walk rate with the we got a real nice player. strikeout rate that Franco has and the power potential clean up his act. I mean you're talking about somebody who's only going to be 25 and still has yeah. a sky high ceiling. I really do believe that. So um yeah those were the two names that jumped off on that uh, on that piece with Margot being the highlight and then Franco being somebody that was uh, kind of hidden in the piece there a little bit. Still in on him. He's very cheap. You get Michael Franco as a uh, a corner very easily. You do not have to start him at your third base slot. Margot, you definitely have to start in your outfield and and and, and pay a little bit of a price for, but I do think it's absolutely worth it. He has not gotten too outstretched uh, with, with his price tag. I think it's in the 150s. Yeah, 149 um Right around Adam Eaton. Oh, right around Ozzy Albie's. You take Albie's or Margot? That's a dumb question. We know who you would take. <laughs> Justin, who would you take? Justin, would you take Albie's or Margot? Uh, I'm taking Albie's. There he is. Okay. Yeah, I am too. We are. We all are. We're taking. We got, Albies I mean, it's just the
1: position. The second base is a pretty bad position this year.
0: Yeah, I think I
1: mean, they might in 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 the end have similar uh, final lines. Maybe. But but
0: I'll take it at second base yeah. over outfield. How about this? I, there's there's I see a
1: little bit more upside for, for, Mar, uh, for Albies. Just so young and um, you know,
0: the launch angle thing isn't in flux as much I think. There's a four outfielder group right where Margot gets picked. So it's 149 to 152. It's Margot, Eaton, Conforto, Kiermaier. How do you rank those four? In the order they're listed or do you switch them up?
1: Well, you know, the thing about Eaton and Kiermaier and Margot is that If you're picking around there, you can just group those and say,
0: you know what, I'll just take whoever drops. Yeah, because they're all power speed options. Conforto's the one that's a little bit different, more of a power batting average run producer type.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, is
0: the hardest to rank, though, too, because that shoulder injury is not a minor. I completely agree, and I think that – I think there was like a a touch of good news at some point in the fall, and people extrapolated that to meaning like he found – you know, some sort of magical care and he was going to be completely fine. I, I, I was really surprised by that. And I even saw him going in like the top 80 of a couple of different drafts. And I really like Conforto as a hitter when healthy, but that shoulder is very scary. I think I would actually rank him fourth of that group. And I like what you say about Margot Eaton Kiermaier, put them in your cluster. And if that's the kind of outfielder you want for your OF3 or whatever, a power speed guy, just take the one that falls to you. So I, I definitely like that aspect. I like all three of those guys.
1: If I, if, to, if I wanted to rank Kiermaier first of those three, I think I'd have to admit that he's only he's never had 600 plate appearances and he, he's been averaging around 400 the last couple of years. So I'd take Margot, just being younger and, and not having that injury risk. Eaton coming of, in off an injury, I think I might go, if, if we wanted just to just nail it down, I think I might go Albies, um, uh, Margot. Margot. Uh, Kiermaier Eaton or Eaton Kiermaier? I would go Kiermaier
0: Eaton, but it's a good point you make on Kiermaier. One of the things that makes him so great, uh, that defense is also what can get him in trouble because he does play an all-out defense, and he puts himself in harm's way out there in center field. So it will keep him on the field when healthy. He's a guaranteed staple, but it can also take him off the field. So it's one of those kind of catch-22 things with Kiermaier.
1: Just read uh, a really interesting piece on The Athletic from Peter Gammons about Brian Kalish. and I think anybody who's been playing fantasy for long enough should remember Ryan Kalish as oh, a guy who came up with the Boston Red Sox and, and came up with Ryan Westmoreland was supposed to be part of their, you know, great, you know, power, speed, great defense, uh, outfield situation. You know, he, he had a great play discipline, made good contact, basically a five tool guy. He had a bit of a, of a Kiermaier situation where he just, Ran into the wall and got hit by a couple pitches at the wrong moments. He's now had like four or five knee surgeries. Dang, tore his labrum. He's still trying to play ball. He's turned 30, thirty, and he was he's played everywhere in the world. So, uh, you know, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that maybe you want him to sort of dial it back a little.
0: I mean, yeah, right. It's like it's kind of a controlled aggression, and it's hard to rein those guys in and say, well, you know don't do this, don't do that, because then he might start playing cautiously. It's Like I said, it's a catch-22 sort of deal, because the thing that makes Kiermaier great is also what puts him at risk. But I agree with you. I would uh, also rank him ahead of Eaton, but behind Albies and Margot. Let's move on to some pitchers, you know uh i got kind of a cluster of pitchers here that we've listed for different reasons kind of talking about them in a, in a little bit of a more you did list garrett cole so i'll let you say a word on him but since we talked so much about him on last week's episode i don't want to deep dive too much did you have any any other uh additional thoughts that we didn't cover last week on garrett cole
1: no really i, I think the most interesting one for me right now is madison Bumgarner because you know i've got this auto league where and i've bugged you about this we've got uh I've got Justin Verlander, um, Zach Greinke, Lance McCullers, Carson Fulmer, and James Paxton, along with some other pieces, but that's my starting five. And I'm looking at it, and with Lance McCullers' struggles, and I, I think I acquired Verlander halfway through last season or something, I I would have won last year if I'd had better staff. So I'm kind of looking at that and being like, do my relievers screw me or, you know, is there something I'm not seeing about this group? It, it doesn't some in some ways you're like, does it have an ace? So I've been in talks for like, you know, a $40 Chris sale and I, my team just can't really fit the money. And and then I started talks with Alan Harrison at the fantasy fix or, you know, for for and Bumgarner for thirty five dollars. OK, and I've just been beating my head against the wall trying to figure out if this is a good idea or not.
0: What's he um, charging
1: you? Let's hammer this out. Well, you know, he wanted uh, the he wanted I, my deal. I was trying to give him was Kiermaier, who's, you know, I would replace Kiermaier with some combination
0: of Max Kepler and Dustin Fowler. We think Kiermeyer's healthy this year, Alan, he's going to stay healthy this year. man? we're talking 155 <laughs> games, but ignore that last part what we what we just talked about he's I know. behind this year.
1: So I was trying to give him like Kiermaier, Jorge Polanco. I've got a bunch of Mi. I got like Tim Anderson, Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario, and Anderson Simmons. So I've been trying to sell an Mi. And I was trying to do Jorge Polanco, Kevin Kiermaier, and maybe some other smaller piece. I decided like to open to to, to throw out like what would it, the trade look like if I put Verlander in? And then he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. Then I then I might do it. And then I realized, like I don't, like I just don't know how much better Madison Bumgarner is going to be than next than Justin Verlander. One thing that stands out is that he actually like lost velocity in the second half
0: last year and it didn't really get have it back. Much velocity either. Yeah. Right? Like that's not his big thing to begin with Madison Bumgarner the fact that he's losing some doesn't necessarily kill him but might have explained why he had some wobbly outings and wasn't quite peak Bumgarner when he returned last year.
1: Yeah, and you know, and I'm worried that my eyes will deceive me too much that watching him so often and interacting with him will is making me think that, oh, yeah, he'll be fine. He'll get back on the horse. He's he's Madison Baumgart. Look at that guy. He's like a, a tree trunk. But, um, you know, he, he did have a labrum injury. He had a shoulder injury.
0: And he will get back on the horse no matter what, though. That guy rides horses to the store. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to do everything. So he will you are right in that aspect of Bump Garner. He will Lean, leans so. down to the takeout window from his horse. Exactly. Thank you, ma'am. Tip hat <laughs> gallops away with his Wendy's. <laughs> so I just uh you know, uh, projections aren't a lot of
1: help here because Justin Verlander had a bit of a breakout and velocity regain and is old. Um so the projections are regressing him in a lot of in a lot of ways that I'm not sure how fair it is. The projections really have them both being like 395 ERA guys. Um, It's interesting to think. And and there's a difference of like $20 between Justin Verlander's price and and Madison Baumgartner's. And if I keep that $20, I might be able to pick a younger pitcher that uh, I might be able to draft a young pitcher that I can throw in that mix. And then if Justin Verlander falls back,
0: you know, I've got this other guy I bought. So then you go out, yeah, exactly. Or you go out, and maybe get your Bumgarner on the fly, using some of the pieces that you acquire at the draft this year with with the twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would do it with Verlander. I think that's counterproductive to what you're doing because I do think you have two fantasy aces, and that's why I told you I think Granky and Verlander are fantasy aces. But I understand that they are cut below that group, which I do put Bumgarner in because I do. Th- I, I'm pretty confident in Bumgarner and Thor returning. Uh, to where they were in, in being part of what I believe is like an eight or nine guy super ace group like the super ace group Remember, what was it two years ago? We were like there's 22 un- right. un- Unquestioned aces and now. We're like there's six <laughs> Maybe a couple others depending on how you feel about those guys um, so yeah, I like getting bumgarner for me the value it, with your team would be adding him to that guy Because you still got paxton and mccullers who you cannot uh, count on for more than a buck thirty. You have to pencil them in at, at a buck thirty on the high end right now until they do something different. Fulmer returning from that ulnar nerve, you know, DeGrom did it and and looked great, but that doesn't guarantee that, uh, of course, that Fulmer will. I'm just saying that as a, uh, uh, a positive data point of, hey, this is how it can work when you get that ulnar nerve. It, it's not a death sentence or anything. Uh, and then Verlander and Grinky being old. So you've got good pitchers. I like all of those guys, but they all have one glaring question. So you get Bumgarner to add to that. I don't think you subtract for it or else I, I I'm not sure that you really make gains with it. Yeah. That.
1: Yeah. And I right, mean it might uh, make more sense to go after Sale, but Sale, you know, he wants Ozuna for sale and you know? I I mean, if you you,
0: you are going to go for a deal, though, you you go for sale over Bumgarner in this instance, especially if you're having to throw back one of your guys with Bumgarner. I think that uh, that would make more sense for sale just between Bumgarner. Not make sense necessarily for what you've got on the whole, but just between the two. All right, let's jump down a little bit and talk about some guys in the mid-tiers here. Uh, You got guys like Jeff Samarja, Gio Gonzalez, John Lester. Um, What are you seeing out out of those three guys and three more veterans here that we're looking at? couple lefties, what's interesting you about them?
1: Well, Justin Marza jumps out because the auction calculator calculator, loves him. Yeah, that strikeout-to-walk ratio was yeah. And it's just, a, that was an, a nut, again, he was a guy that I watch, and I love him. I love talking to him. Um, but it, it seems like he's always tinkering with his slider, and the splitter kind of went away and hasn't really come
0: back. Oh, it really did, and that's that's frustrating. I love splitters, but yeah, it's precipitously dropped each of the last two years in terms of usage.
1: Yeah, and so I, uh, I don't know. I, it, uh, I'm not convinced that uh, he doesn't seem like a guy who pitches to his projections. It seems like he pitches way better or way worse. Well, there's and,
0: one main reason though. It's, it's always homers, right? Yeah. If you really look at it, right? If you just really boil it down, to, it's simplistic, right? You definitely have to dive in deeper and really get into no, it. No, but uh, yeah, look but at the years he has it, four ERA. He has the bad home run rates. Exactly. And then what the year he had a 299 ERA, that double season with the uh, the, the two-team season with the Cubs and A's, he had a .82 homer per nine, his best as a starter, and he put up a 299 ERA and a 107 whip. Now, of course, we thought, well, dude, he's with the Giants. Of course, he'll give up fewer homers. And he did from that first year, 15 to 16. He went 1.2 to uh, 1.22 to 1.06. That's not enough of a drop. But then last year, it spiked back up to 1.3 for Jeff Samarja. And most of it was on the road. Uh, he had some bad starts Colorado. Uh, you Colorado. If you were curating his starts, you could have gotten better than a 442 because he would have avoided I think two Colorado duds. But the point is, he needs to allow fewer homers if he's ever going to make that strikeout to walk ratio fully work for him. So I understand the appeal, and I definitely think he's being underdrafted. I'm in on on Samarja, but I'm wondering if if we're asking for too much to expect the homers to uh, pull back.
1: Yeah, like I'll draft him above certain ADPs. Like I'd love to know his ADP, but the auction calculator
0: has him at like 25. So among pitchers. It's, so okay, so here's where he is right now. His ADP for Samarja is one thirty seven and around pitchers, I can't uh they don't they don't list them by okay. pitchers. Probably
1: about thirty five I would guess. That's yeah, that's close to 35-40 because um the top twenty go in the first like four rounds, five yes. rounds. Yeah. So yeah, I am not I'm not taking on the sixth or seventh round. You know, if we're talking eighth ninth tenth round then you know as my maybe third pitcher then then i could see it maybe
0: thankfully we don't have to right because the market isn't that excited on him in fact whenever i talk up justin marge i get groans of like what him why yeah. and it's like well main reason for me is we don't have workhorses anymore uh, yeah. outside of those super aces and he is still a workhorse and so yeah again most leagues you can at least curate uh, those those starts out of count. Now, if you have one of those leagues where you have anybody that's on your active roster has to start, then I'm not sure I would take Jeff Samarja because I want to be able to pick and choose and yeah. not start him at Colorado, maybe skip an Arizona start here and there, or uh, I don't know if they get something weird like the Yankees in Yankee Stadium on interleague, I would want to skip that. So I definitely think you have to be smart about where you draft Samarja, but he's definitely going cheaper than he should, and I'm in on that. What about the two veteran lefties, Gio Gonzalez, John Lester? They both, they, they kind of went opposite ways last year. Gio had that really nice season that nobody really believes. And obviously he's not a true talent, whatever the heck it was, 296 ERA. But I also don't think he's a scrub. And I, I think the reaction to his season is a little bit overblown in terms of, yes, let's identify that he's not quite as good as that, but also let's not pretend he's, he's, he's trash. What would you mm-hmm. see with uh, Gio and Lester?
1: I think I'm out on both. I think, you know, it'll... There's always a price for a guy, and so they could fall far enough that I'd like them.
0: Geo but, is a uh, pick ahead of Samarja, and Leicester is up at 125. So above Samarja. Yes, 10 picks above. Yeah. Or around above, yeah.
1: Well, that's that's actually uh, that's actually lower than I thought it would be uh, for Leicester. I thought... You know, I've seen people talking about him as if uh, he could still be a one. I don't think he's a one. No um, way. Not even a fantasy one for me. No. Um, and uh, I, I think I wouldn't want him as a two. So if you're talking about, but at 105, you're probably talking about a three. 125. You know, hmm?
0: 125 is where he's going. Yeah,
1: 125. That's that's a three or a four. Maybe I could do that. One thing I don't. One thing I don't like. I mean, he did show some better velocity later in the season, but. This is the worst velocity he's ever shown with John Lester. And it makes sense because he's older than he's ever been. I was going to say,
0: what age? Going into age 34?
1: Yeah. But I just, at 90 miles an hour, I think there might be an inflection point there where, you know, I think one thing he does well is tunnel, throw all his pitches to look the same. But if they're coming in at 90, you just have a better, you have a longer time to react. Oh, for sure. And maybe maybe you can see those pitches longer, and you can separate that cutter and the four seam better, and the curve. Um, so I and he gave up you know the most homers he's ever given up, and uh, I think that'll continue. I think he'll have an ERA over four. If I if I put the ERA over under four for you, because his depth chart projections for three point nine. But yeah, if I, I put the over under on the four ERA for you, would you take?
0: I think I would. I would take the over. i I'm, I'm kind of eyeing him as a 410 sort of guy because the concern for me yeah you see the hit and home run rate spike and I understand some people might want to regress that but only if he gets better I think it it goes part and parcel with the velocity drop for Lester that his hits and homers would both jump up pretty significantly from what they were last year but even on a on kind of a three-year uh, rolling average they're They're really high that the hit rate was the highest since 2012 when he had that 482 era uh, Same with the whole run rate. Actually, it, it was his worst season since that 2012 year um, I don't remember the the factors, but was that the chicken and beer year? Uh, he went 9 and 14. It probably was but anyway. Yeah with Lester. It's like he was so great in 16 and then added nearly two runs to his ERA. The sk- the base skills were still there, so I won't completely get rid of him, and I don't think the ADP is too terrible. But just kind of looking at at where Lester's being picked right now, David Price goes right after him, and I'd much rather have David Price. Marcus Stroman goes before him, and I think I would prefer Stroman, although not, not uh, as a slam dunk. So, yeah, I think like a 410 is probably where my projection is on Lester.
1: Yeah, so... I, I agree, and I'd take the over on four for Gio Gonzalez, too. He's projected to be over four. I want to mention Gio Gonzalez, only five starting pitchers, had a bigger velocity loss in the second half last year. Um, and he was down to 89.5 in the second half with his fastball. So How I know that been he's so
0: successful.
1: I mean, I mostly because he threw more curves than he had since he was a okay. rookie. That's, but, that's what, there we go. And, that, and when he's a rookie, he wasn't throwing that change as much. So... I mean, he threw he threw the fastball less than he ever had before by almost ten percentage points.
0: So, and does that make you feel less uneasy about the velocity drop when when he said, "Okay"? No, I think it. he's 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 using all those old old pitcher tricks. I think he used them all up at age thirty two. At age thirty one last year, he's like, "I'm already out of the old old pitcher bag of tricks." <laughs> I mean, he'll now, have some good start moving on the rubber and a four ERA is still like a league average guy. Oh, for sure. That's the thing Four ERA. And I also don't think, you know, uh, Nick Pollock and I actually got in a little bit of a conversation about this and it really boiled down to the fact that we were just kind of looking at the outlook of leagues differently. He was focused more on 12 team and I was focused on 15 team. A four ERA is is by no means bad. Like um, you do not have, you can't run from all the four ERA pitchers else. You're not gonna be able to field a team. So, you know, even saying that he if you even if you believe Gio's going to be like a 420 uh if you think he's going to do it for 180 innings there's going to be some value there for the with, with the innings so uh you can't completely run away from it he's 136 like i said just ahead of of Jeff Samarja. i would take Samarja. um Trevor Bauer the guy that we talk about regularly is is five picks later i'm sure you would take him easily would you take uh let's see here Kyle Hendricks At one sixteen, or Geo at one thirty six, so like a round plus later.
1: Uh, Get a whole round. Yeah, I think I would. I mean, at that point, it's I take Kyle Hendricks, or if I don't take Kyle Hendricks, I'll take two rounds off and get somebody later. I I just yeah. I don't think I'm going to end up with him. Okay, Uh, and that's fair.
0: So two older lefties with of There's a
1: huge collapse possibility for pitchers that are 32 33 34 years old
0: absolutely and it can happen on a dime but the thing of it is we would be like oh well they fell apart after having one had a really good year last year geo and the other was was solid uh and we'd be like well they completely fell apart but if you don't pay attention to the velocity drop you would you would think it was a, a a a immediate collapse whereas maybe 2017 was telling you be careful and then 18 the uh the bottom falls out so be careful with those old lefties i want to talk about a guy who came over uh from overseas miles michaelis the easiest and i i don't even think it's lazy i really don't to, to comp him to Kobe lewis they fit together in a lot of different ways in terms of guys that were in the majors go over to japan control artists lewis when he came back looked good michaelis through some really good seasons he's trying to come back do something similar what do you see out of michaelis uh for the st louis cardinals
1: Well, one thing that may set him apart is that Nicholas uh, used his slider and his curve more and and sort of ditched the change a little bit in Japan. Okay. Um, And that's a pitching mix change. It's also more pitches than Colby had. Colby was basically a fastball slider guy. And um, so you've got a guy who's going to come over with 93, 94 mile an hour fastball, so not below average velocity. Not Okay.
0: I didn't realize his velocity was that high. Yeah. yeah. That's why I was comping him to Lewis. I thought he was more in the 91, 92 sort of range.
1: No, I mean, he, when he left, okay. he was averaging 94 and I, I think he's at least still above 93. So,
0: okay. Okay.
1: Um, it's not a straight fastball necessarily. It doesn't, it's not one of these, you know, newly popular ride, like a raised pitcher with the, you know, the riding fastball and the big curve. That's not mm-hmm. necessarily his, his deal. He's not necessarily a big spin rate guy, but he went over there and decided to throw his breakers more often um, and supposedly really found the zone. And our buddies over at Navy Analytics said, you know, he was basically a top three pitcher in Japan. And if you change his name to, you know, uh, Masahiro yeah, Norimoto, yeah. you know, you everybody would be all over him. So but since they
0: know it's Miles McKellis they're like that scrub from Texas with the dumb mustache. <laughs> and actually they're not referring to me for once, which is pretty cool. Uh, so. cuz I shave that dude stupid thing. McKellis coming over his ADP is 339. He's free. I mean it, no one's really thinking about him right now. However, he does strike me as one of those guys who goes out you know, uh has three, four good spring training starts in a row and really starts to rise. He could be oh, he yeah. could be a super quick riser. Not that he's gonna go into like top pick, top one hundred pick or anything crazy like that, but he could go from three thirty nine to like pick two hundred and all of a sudden he costs you a little something. So are you saying invest early in Nicholas if you have leagues where you can?
1: I when we made this, I I grouped him in that Gio Gonzalez John Lester group. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where he feels right. I know idiots like us are going to talk about him, like you said, and they're going to pump him full of helium. Um, I don't know that I'd want to push him past that. So if the, if the helium gets to where he's being picked above, you know, in the, like in the double digits, then I might take a pause and be like, I could have Kyle Hendricks, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. If he gets pushed that high, there's no way. Miles Nicholas but, is going, like I said, top one hundred for me. No, no, no chance. But I think the helium would really have a ceiling of around pick two hundred. I I don't know that even a, a sexy spring training is really gonna boost him too high. You think it, you think people would go that crazy and, and start taking him like pick ninety four or something silly like that?
1: Yeah, maybe not. Uh, but it like in some ways I might rather have him than than Gio and John. So especially at that cost. Right. So, you know, uh, that's why even if Gio Gonzalez and John Lester maybe okay picks at 120 and it's not really pushing it too hard, I would be like, yo, Nicholas is still on
0: the board. Zach Godley's still on the board. Dude, I like Zach Godley. And you got him in another grouping coming up. Um, I love that. You know,
1: the next grouping that I have that I'm really excited about, Luke Weaver and Luis Gohara." Let me ask those you something. Before. on the board? Why don't? Why would Thirty-three year old who who threw eighty-nine miles an hour last year. When I could take a guy who's like
0: twenty-four and threw ninety-nine miles an hour last year. I, I got one for you though. This again. This is gonna knock your socks off. Huh. What's Luke Weaver's ADP? What do you think it
1: is? Oh, see, he's he's already got that helium.
0: What do you think it is? Ninety-five or something. Yeah, it's one hundred five. The helium yeah. is already done, and it, it, it'll only go higher. I, it, yeah
1: and happen. i and i think we're we're getting to the point now where you're paying too much for what could happen and
0: not he has active. to perform at this point yeah. when you're taking him there and that's why i love luke weaver i, I remember seeing him afl pumping him up when he came up last year we talked about him on the pod and i was happy but then my rankings came out i think i had him like 45th and people were like i thought you liked luke weaver i was like i'm just trying to like be reasonable about it. he's still a 24 year old yeah that's what that's what i said i was like I pumped him up. My original Mm -hmm. ranking was like 60. And I was like, no, no, no. I got to go up to 40 and show people that I really like Luke Weaver. And they're like, no, idiot. Uh, You got to be top 20 if you like Luke Weaver, apparently. He went as high as 55. That's his min pick in NFBC. Somebody took him as the 55th player overall. That's That's insane. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just I mean, it's insane
1: because in a lot of ways, he has a a lot in common with Michael Walker Mm
0: -hmm. in that.
1: He has good fastball velocity. He actually was one of the biggest gainers in velocity last year. Um, he 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 shows up. I I I can't. I, I'm like trying to look at this list of names and be like, how many starters are there? But he went up. He went up
0: to. Um... By the way, while you're looking that up, I'll point out that Waka um, is going at 236, 130 picks later than Weaver. And there's no way I wouldn't prefer. Obviously, everyone already knows. I and love Luke Waka, Weaver's but...
1: velocity went up. 293 and Michael Walker's velocity went that uh, went up to 96 they're yeah, really close to up. each other in terms of who went up most in velocity last year and uh, I'd take 96 over to 93 plus Luke Weaver uh, is Michael Walker in terms of like being a fastball changeup guy who's trying to find that breaking ball I believe he can find it and Wainwright's teaching him how to throw the cut the curveball Which uh, is really exciting that is exciting, but at the same time, like just get Michael Walker like
0: like a hundred picks later. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and that that's where it is for me r- right now. The the helium is is just too high on Luke Weaver. So well, give me the ADP the... on Luis Gohara. Oh, I got this for you. you, you you're gonna love this one because it. But but we're gonna ruin it. By the yeah. way, just so you know, but it's 294 right now, with a min pick of 241. Um. That's I think we could send that, but we could send that a hundred picks higher. Not just us, because we're not the only ones that like him, but a lot of people are but starting though, to
1: see. Put Mikolas and Gohara on the same team. I love that. I, I love it. Agree. It's like a floor and a ceiling pick. Both of their projections are for that sort of three seven, three eight, three nine um usefulness. You know, there is some floor for both guys, but Mikolas is more of a floor pick, and Gohara could go either way. I mean, yes. Command's not great. The changeup flashes in and out, but if if it... It's like... Uh, it's a little bit like a Gio Gonzalez
0: with uh, more velocity. So like older school Gio Gonzalez? Although yeah, because he, ne- yeah, he, he used to sit he like 93, re- right? Yeah, but
1: Gohar's well, 96, so... Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Even more velocity than old. But it's a little bit like that, where he's looking for that change. It took... You know, just to put it in focus, it did take um, Gio like three years to find a changeup.
0: That's right. And and remember, he was kind of a disappointment for a little while and then uh, like really bad for a couple seasons, 22, 23, then figured it out age 24. So with Gohara and Weaver especially, that's why Weaver scares me. You know, he had that good 60 innings last cool. year. But supposedly bulked up too and that's not really great for mechanics you know substantially and that was something that was being talked about i think it was Derek cardi who was pointing that out like that might be a little bit too much uh of a gain like there there is a breaking point where it's like hey that's great and all but it might not help you initially uh there there could be a pullback with with that weight gain even with when it's muscle and it's positive weight gain it can almost hurt you like you said because of mechanics right
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting how that plays with his back. Like, he put on a bunch of weight. You know, your back is what supports your weight. Yes, Mm -hmm. he probably put on good weight that will – like, he probably strengthened his back while he's doing it, right? Right. I'm not sure. saying he's an idiot and just ate
0: donuts. All, all it was sushi. actually all legs. Uh, he has yeah. Pope, it's, it, Popeye's yeah. arms are transformed into his legs and they just thighs too. They legs on. Yes. Luke Weaver. <laughs> it's crazy, and the rest of his upper body actually shrank a little bit. So it's it's like a very, very weird,
1: very weird. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, I, I think that could be worrisome. Go, Gohara right now is 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 basically free. I think uh, even with a little helium, I'm still going to stick with him. I'm not sure. If the helium goes too far, then maybe I'm off because he does have command issues and might take him a little while. But if you're talking about picking him as your number four, I'd love to take eight Luis Goharas from four on down and just have a bunch of those. And one of them is going to be an ace, you know. So uh, I, I really do like picking uh, Gohara and Mikolas together. There, there's a lot of different ways to be good at baseball and to be good at pitching. And I think uh, taking Gohara and Mikolas almost captures like. Two very different ways to do it.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree, and I like that. I like that duo as well, and I, I like Weaver, but again, the price is just too high for me. Uh, this next trio you grouped together: uh, Denelson, Lamet, Andrew Heaney, at Godley. I'm interested as to what made you group them together. Well, was I anywhere close on where they're going? Well, uh, I think the market is pretty psyched on Godley, so he's yeah. up at up at the top by far at at one thirty four, and then Lamet down at two eighteen and then Heaney all the way down at 4.38 as an afterthought.
1: Right. Yeah, Labette and Godley were the ones that kind of stuck in my head. Although, I, Godley, yeah, maybe Godley, I guess, uh, has shown it. He's 27 years old, and he's shown it. And there's no real reason to doubt it, I don't think. Um, he's great sink on his balls. and oh, it's...
0: it's... I mean, it's not quite, I don't want to go so far as to say Brandon Webb-esque, but yeah. he cuts a Brandon Webb figure at times being an Arizona Diamondback as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, that 55% ground ball rate is getting close to that part where it's an an leadish ground ball rate that'll help him suppress home runs. So, you know, pair that with a 13% with rate and a, all those strikeouts he had, godly's a, a given. But in some ways, I think Lamette could get there. That's why. That's why I threw him in there. He didn't show the ground ball rate last year, and he doesn't really have exactly the same stuff. But a lot of whiffs, and maybe a park, and a situation where he's going to be throwing in San Francisco, in San Diego, and just a little bit of refinement, I think, could really end up um, making it work for him. One little piece of information I can give people. Uh, most places have him throwing one breaking ball. Yeah, uh, a slider. The uh, the the people within the Padres, the Beats, and they tell me that he
0: reported to he was throwing three. Was he maybe cutter, slider, and what? Yeah, and curve. Oh, and and, and a, and a re- legitimate curve. Okay. Yeah.
1: So uh, I think that's an interesting thing. It it can't be. Amazing. They,
0: those pitches can't be amazing if we're not tracking them separately. If, if there's no grouping, you know, like a lot of these sites can differ on pitch classification, and you'll usually see, like, I know Brooks is a good one to kind of capture some of those offhand. You know, oh, he threw nine curves, and it might have just been nine sliders that were that were more uh, curvy at that point. That they don't have any of that. They also have all sliders, all all of our types here, all of our pitch type, our pitch FX, our pitch info. All says just sliders, so that's interesting. I think what, it's a what, good what sign because that
1: I think what is a good sign because I think it's um, you know one of the things about developing a new pitch, we always have the new pitch tracker. Jason mm. does that, and it's amazing. It and this year, and almost always, you'll find that a breakout was a breakout was on that list. You know, sure. it doesn't mean that everybody who develops a new pitch breaks out. It's more retroactively, you can see that a lot of breakouts come from adding a new pitch. And uh, and then you talk to pitchers, and you realize that adding a new pitch is a real herky-jerky. When we talk about development not being linear, I think the, the real process of trusting a new pitch takes a long time. You, you, you trust it to throw it in a bullpen. You trust it to throw it in warm-ups to your catcher. And then your catcher, I've heard people say this, my catcher's been telling me to throw that. Well, what? He's been telling you to throw that. He says it looks good, and yet you don't trust it.
0: Throw the damn pitch, then. Throw it, then, Trust right? the catcher. He's, yes. He has an idea of what's up.
1: Right. So, I mean, he's looking at it. So, um, so the fact that Lamette says he's throwing these says to me he already trusts something there. Okay. And maybe it's not showing up the way we want to yet. Maybe they're not differentiating enough yet, but it offers some hope beyond the fact that you know his change up maybe you know it has good drop but it doesn't have very good movement and it has no velocity separation maybe he's never going to trust it
0: and and that's an issue right now because um, like I said right now it shows basically fastball slider for Lamette and he doesn't get lefties out and he had a situation last year where he was either dominant or awful there was very little in between giving up you know, homers and ringing doubles, or striking out the world. Twenty-eight percent strikeout rate, one point four homer per nine rate. Right? A really weird season, but it has a lot of people excited for Lemet. But I just wonder if it's status quo and we don't get a, a development of a true third pitch, is he not going to have the same issues against lefties? For Denelson Lemet?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I was him, I think I might really pocket that slot, that sinker, use the change as like an Alex Cobb super sinker. Um, so think think about it differently. Not try to use it for whiffs and stuff. It can get whiffs, but try to use it a little bit more like a fastball mm-hmm. and then and then focus on differentiating out either the cutter or the curve. And um you know the the fact that he thinks he already he's throwing three breakers is actually a really positive sign for me. so uh, I put i should have i should have put Lamet and gohara together, yeah, that, uh, that
0: yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. And I and I could and I think um I think Haney to me is a little bit more like a low rent Mikolas. Uh, so uh, so if I we're talking like better free, gamble. free late pitchers or or there's another we have another grouping that's really free. Yeah so those this, are is, all... this is more like um last pitcher in a fifteen team, twelve team. You know, I would love to get one of Lamette and Gohara and one of Mikolas and Haney because Haney I think he had a tough time his first year back from tr- Tommy John. But if okay. you just look at his movement and you look at his past before the Tommy John, I think that there's enough there to say, this is a guy who, you know, has that side army sinker change slider, uh, good touch uh, combination that I think can really work. So okay. a little bit like a, a Nicolas. So Uh, You know, Michaelis is righty, but, you know, a little bit less stuff and more command and and um, and guile, Uh, whereas Lamette and Gohara are just I'm going to throw this thing real hard. And uh, and you're hoping that they they sort of that third pitch takes takes root.
0: Okay. I, I can get behind all, all of that. Uh, Lamette's somebody that I'm keeping an eye on the helium, and if it gets too high, I think I'll back off because I do think there's more development necessary than some are allowing. But at pick 218, I don't think, I think you do have that built-in uh, uh, ability to have Lamette maybe not progress as much as expected and still, and still be all right at, at, at pick 218. He's around Snell, Cobb, Clevenger, and Walker. Are you taking him over any of those guys, or is that right around the perfect area?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think <clears throat> by I pick two hundred. I mean, two hundred. You're uh, even in a fifteen team league. You're talking about uh,
0: twelve, fourteen rounds in. You're you're firmly in the glob at that point, and you're starting so, to take the pitchers that you like.
1: Yeah, fourteen rounds in, you should have most of your starting lineup for sure. You should have, like, let's say, uh, like, a typical draft for me, by the 16th round, even in a 15-teamer, I have probably, like, two outfield slots remaining because I, I
0: like to just
1: find outfielders late, almost like you pitchers.
0: probably have, like, 10-6, 11-5 hitter pitcher breakdown at that point, right?
1: Yeah, right. So I probably have, yeah, I probably have... Um, uh, yeah, maybe nine. nine. Like if we're, we're going 15 rounds. Let's say 15 rounds, probably nine and six. Probably have nine hitters, which means I might have an outfield slot, a util slot left, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit in trouble with MI or CI and one of those guys is not filled, but most of my lineup is filled. Um, or if it's a single catcher league, I don't have a catcher and I don't have two outfielders and a util or one outfielder and a util. So most of my lineup is filled. I probably have uh out of the six pitchers i probably have like four starters and two relievers and so right around round 15 is when i'm like all right it's starting pitching time you know it's like you know i'm gonna it's not even starting pitching time it's it's pitching time i'm gonna take relievers and starters and just mix in the odd you know outfielder that fell too far and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. uh that's that would be a perfect time for me i would have already had like three starters lamette Gohara, Mikolas, I could do three straight picks like that.
0: I, I'm I'm in. I'm in, and that's that's usually where you and I are drafting a lot of our pitchers after kind of getting a foundation. That's you know, that's Waka's area, Aaron Sanchez. I already mentioned Taiwan Walker, Jacob Faria. There's a lot of interesting pitchers there. So you find the ones that you like and you kind of go for it. Let's talk about this flyer, uh flyer group here. Flaherty's actually in that group, and we just talked about him with re- with regards to his slider. Obviously he has still has some some work to do, but uh, nice foundation there, and you threw him in a group with Tyson Ross, uh Health Concern, Robert Stevenson, Matt Boyd, Tyler Skaggs, Nick Tropiano, and Brandon Woodruff. So a big group. Highlight a couple that you like there.
1: Well, Stevenson actually lost more velocity than any other pitcher starting pitcher in
0: baseball last year. Oh wow! He went from that's 90- kind of his calling card as he kind of fi- struggles to figure everything else out right now.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because he went from ninety-four eight in the first half to ninety-three in the second half, and uh, he also developed a a curveball um, that uh, that he was using instead of his uh, his changeup, and it's it, you kind of almost go in separate, separate directions with each of those pieces of information. Where you're like, well, the curveball over the changeup that he couldn't command that might be uh, that might be a really good sign. Uh, you know, he was relieving a little bit more in the first half, so you know maybe you can poo poo that away. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is interesting to, when you look at his 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 seasonal stats, you might see a velocity number that's not he's sitting 93. So if you think he's a really big velocity guy, I think you should sort of recalibrate and be like, OK, 93 with a good fat with a good slider and maybe this curveball will make it happen. But, you know, I wouldn't pay for him any more than that sort of what if Lamet Gohara area. Um, and I probably wouldn't. Pay, I'd rather have Lamette and Gohara.
0: So. I don't think you even have to. I think Robert Stevenson is is a complete afterthought. He's actually 461 mm-hmm. ADP. I don't think there's any real chatter of him in the market. I actually think the Reds as a whole are kind of a hidden team. Outside of Otto, Billy Hamilton, I don't know that they get uh, enough attention.
1: Um, yeah, like Su- Suarez is a, oh, and, is a— And Castillo, of course. Suarez is a totally you know uh, competent third baseman. Absolutely. And, and people look,
0: and overlook him a lot. They've got some other guys on, on the come-up. Jesse Winker's a prospect who could be a, a good hitter. Scooter Jeanette had an uh, interesting season last year. Tucker Barnhart didn't hit a ton, but he did win a gold glove. And I really think that's going to buy him a, a boatload of playing time. And, you know, if I'm going to take a mid-tier kind of boring catcher, give me the guy who's going to play virtually every day because of his defense back there. Oh, Rysel Glacius, too. So they've got, they've got uh, Votto. Hamilton, Castillo, Iglesias, who get attention from everybody. And then the rest is kind of like they don't get a lot of love except from pieces here and there. But I do think there's actually some pretty solid fantasy value there. Stevenson, like I said, afterthought, you would take him as your last pitcher or reserve only?
1: Uh I think I I I'm interested in him as a as a last pitcher. Um I'd take him over Tyson Ross. Tyson Ross did gain velocity, but he only got up to ninety-two. Um and he never did find that third pitch. He kind of has to fight for his rotation spot. I mean, he's back in San Diego, and so it might not be that hard. But with that injury his, uh Matt Boyd had uh, velocity. He has a lot of and it, if they if they sort of congeal, uh, I could see something there.
0: But, say that last part again. You, you 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 it got cut off a little bit there on Matt Boyd that first part about his pitches He has a so lot, lot of he pitches. Cangeal. Oh, okay. If they congeal,
1: if they sort of, if they yeah, if he sort of picks favorites and figures out how to use them. I mean, I we talked in the midseason about um he he changed his his arm slot a little bit and he had completely different movement on his curveball, but he was hoping that changing the arm slot would separate the difference um, on his curveball from a slider a little bit, like Jimmy Nelson. Um, so. I wanted to mention him because there's a breakout opportunity there. Tyler, Tyler Kags, Skags, there's a breakout
0: opportunity just from if he stays healthy one year. Right. And and that's kind of the same with Heaney, too, right? Because, he, like you said, he was battling back from health. So I actually like both those guys. You had Tropiano there, too. That's three guys that are kind of the wild card. If one of those really comes through for the Angels, obviously we're talking fantasy here. But if one of those comes through for the Angels in a big way, that's going to be a major piece uh to, to get done what they're trying what they're trying to do here with otani and garrett richards and obviously on the offense there they need at least one of those guys to be a solid buck sixty um and obviously they, they need Garrett Richards too as well. But I, I like all three of those guys between Skags, Heaney and Tropiano. Um who do you like? I best? wonder
1: the one thing that worries me is watching Heaney and Skags struggle a little bit after their surgeries. And then you think Tropiano can do the same. And Tropiano's coming back this year, um, yeah. So Tropiano's a definite reserve pick, but I wanted to mention him because they also might go to a six-man rotation. That might be good for him because it might mean more rest and more opportunity, really, um, to to pitch in the major leagues and pitch as a starter. So, what um, do you
0: think of? He's not on your list anywhere. What do you think of Matt Shoemaker while we're talking Angels?
1: I mean, in some ways, I would downgrade the top of the Angels rotation, and
0: this includes
1: Otani, because I do think that they might go to the six-man rotation. I mean, that's what Otani is used to. He had the elbow surgery. I think there's Um, no doubt
0: they'll do it in spurts, if not
1: all year. Yeah,
0: Definitely, like, periods of time where they're going six-man.
1: But if you look at the types of guys that the Angels have, it might actually benefit all of them, because they've all been injured. You know, and so, no, w- like, agree there. Shoemaker got 77 innings last year. You'd take 130, 140 again from him. So, um, you know, Shoemaker's uh, throwing the split finger 30% of the time. That always makes me worried for uh, health reasons. Um, and so...
0: But the split finger's a big injury pitch? I actually didn't know that.
1: Well... I wrote a whole piece on it and i said it was inconclusive because it's really hard to just tie anything to a single pitch like that. But, um, I don't know. It it depends on the specifics of how you throw it too, because there are fork balls and um, different ways to, to throw splitters. But, um, it makes me a little bit nervous. I'll admit I wrote the piece. I'd say it makes me a little bit nervous. Okay. Um, and, um, so anyway, I, I, I doubt I'll end up with too many shoemakers. The deeper leagues, I'm I'm stuck with one. I'm going to keep it because it's not worth anything on the open market. Um, but uh, of that list that I had, you know, in a way, Brandon Woodruff is is yeah, maybe wanted, the
0: one that. I want to excites talk a little bit about, about him. He's the out in Milwaukee young guy got some time last year. Uh, solid prospect in their farm system going to get an opportunity this year although they've been they've been rumored in on a lot of guys too i don't know that that would necessarily cost him a spot though he's not penciled in right now because they did sign yuli chassin and Giovanni gallardo but they've also got junior gara like they've got some volatility in three of their five spots with chase chase anderson and zach davies really the only two guys that i think are locked in and uh, i think woodruff can certainly perform his way into the uh, into the rotation right off the top, too. I don't even think they he necessarily has to wait. If he goes and has a great spring, there's no reason they shouldn't use him over Junior Guerra. Junior Guerra should not be blocking off Brandon Woodruff. So what do you think about the, uh, I believe, 25-year-old right-hander?
1: Yeah, he's really sort of fascinating to study from a movement perspective because he has a he throws a four-seam and those 95 miles an hour, sits 95 miles an hour, but it doesn't have rise – and it also doesn't have like wiggle from like a sort of sinker type perspective. Um, but it plays really heavy. Like it's uh, it's got a good ground ball rate and uh, it doesn't get doesn't give up homers. So um, I think he's one of these ones that I'd almost just recommend people watch and, and see him in the spring and just, you know, keep them on their minds because the movement numbers are very strange. Uh, they suggest that he should have a really good changeup, but he doesn't. He doesn't um, trust it as much. The changeup the slider didn't get whiffs, uh, but look like they could. You know, so okay. I wonder if there's a sequencing thing that needs to happen, um, or if he's just gonna change a little bit and become more of a like a, a ground ball guy with a sinker. I just. There's a lot to like starting with a 95-mile-an-hour uh, fastball, and then you know, there's these pieces around it that that could fall into place. So I'm not sure when they will and if it will be this year, uh, but uh, I wanted to put him on that last list. Basically, this list, to me, is the reserve roundish
0: type of Absolutely. player. Absolutely, and Woodruff's ADP matches that, 377. Uh, guess who is right around? Tyler Skaggs, Jack Flaherty. You nailed it. Yeah. Uh, two other guys there, and Vince Velasquez, a guy we've pumped up in the past, but... I think maybe both I, of us are... I throw
1: Velasquez in there. These are just players that either succeed in the past or succeed in a short burst or have interesting movement, something that could fall into place that are good lottery tickets. Those you know who's these going are the even type later? players. Who's that?
0: Guess. Guess who's going at pick 403? Guess from every pitcher ever. who's... To... <laughs> it's <laughs> such a dumb thing to make you guess. Drill Cotton.
1: Ah, well, yeah, you can put Cotton on that list for sure. In fact, Cotton might be a $1 last pitcher for me in, in AL onlys. Um, But if I can get him reserve, I love it.
0: Yeah, same here, obviously. We're, we're, we're buying back in. We, we pumped him up. This is a long con, guys. We pumped him up, made you clowns pay for him. Uh, <laughs> I can't really say that because I paid for him too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so listen, again, it was a long con. I took the heat. Uh, I, I was in on the operation to buy him, and like, oh, we love Gerald Cotton. Then he sucked. Now this year, the price is tanked. Boom, we're buying back in, massive profits. Watch out, y'all. Oyakasha, kasha. you guys are in trouble this year. All right, so that's gonna that's gonna cover that. Um, I still think I want to try to twist your arm into maybe making like a top one hundred pitchers, and then we can compare it against mine, and then we can argue about um, you know differences here and there. But uh, you know, I understand that time is tight. Everyone's doing a lot of work here as we uh, flip the calendar over to February. So if you can get that done, that'd be great. If not, it's, it's all right. And then uh, next maybe week we'll have, show, a, maybe we'll we'll have a special
1: no, no extra early week uh, podcast. Next we will. We're going to be talking
0: next Wednesday. And um, so here's what, what we got planned is to talk, to just kind of have a free-flowing conversation, Simmons style there. and. Um, What's going to happen is 52 signings on Tuesday and Wednesday. Don't ruin
1: it.
0: <laughs> so we're going to try to have kind of a chill talk. It's going to be kind of baseball here and there. But what's really going to happen is uh, Hosmer, uh, Darvish, Arietta, Lynn, J.D. Martinez are all going to sign. And six major trades are going to happen on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So look forward be to bewildered. that. Yeah, that'll be great. And we're going to ignore all of them. That's the thing. All that's (laughs) That's going to happen, and we're still going to go through with our plan to just kind of have more of a free-flowing talk. So, uh, Eno, great talking with you as always. I love when we're talking pictures. I really enjoyed those pieces you put together, and we will talk again soon. Thanks
1: for listening.